Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Back for an all new episode of Keep It. I'm Ira Madison the Fourth. I'm Louis Fortel, still the first. Now, why are you the fourth today? I just feel like, you know, a new era. Oh, I see. I have to tell you, if I hear the word era one more time, I am going to go on a murder rampage. <laughs> Did you know that? Is it not even Taylor related? People are just saying era a lot. There, I mean, it's always that. But I have to say, the Taylor eras thing. They just aren't very distinct eras to me. I mean, we're talking about, like, album covers, basically. I don't know if those are really eras. Mm. Well, I I know who you want to mention right now, and let's not. (laughs) She'll come up again. Don't worry about that. (laughs) Not not if I help it this week. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like everyone has always mentioned, like, I'm in a new era. I'm doing this a new era. Let me tell you something about the Eras Tour. We're going to be discussing Killers of the Flower Moon yes. this week. Did I need to hear that half a singing while I'm trying to watch my movie? <laughs> AMC, oh, I know. AMC 19th Street um, East 6. Um, I'm calling you out. We need to get some soundproofing. And it's not even just soundproofing. I was I ran to the I did take a bathroom break during the film. It's three and a half hours. Right. Okay. I'll allow it. When I returned, there was when I turned from my very quick bathroom break, the door to the theater across from me was open and I tried to close it. (laughs) But they had the door stop there. And it was just too difficult. And I was like, I'm gonna miss more of the movie if I don't run back. But it's just this this bitch blaring through the hallways. And I was like, well, maybe if someone closed the door. Yeah, right. That does feel like an easy choice to make. I'm sure it's a fire hazard or something. I don't know what. But um, uh, by the way, when people have said this, I don't think I've ever heard another movie bleed through the walls before when I've watched a movie. So I'm particularly sorry that that's happening to people. I feel like for most of the theaters that I visited, like if you saw it at the Grove or somewhere else, uh, and the AMC I usually go to is maybe like Lincoln Square, like if I'm in the IMAX or something, you're not going to hear it in there. It's more insulated, but the AMC on 19th Street, that's constructed by paper. Yeah, right, 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 right. Um, uh, I just saw the movie Nyad yesterday, which has uh, Annette Benning and uh, Jodie Foster. And I expected it to be, well, I expected it to be basically adult dolphin tale. Like, oh, we're going to, uh, mm. it's going to be a, a, a tale of perseverance and it's going to be cute or whatever. And guess what? It was. And by the way, 
Annette Benning in this movie plays just like a, you know, a real life person, Diana Nyad, who was a celebrity, basically. She would be on like Johnny Carson and stuff, and they show it in the movie. Um, she did all these swimming feats, and then in her 60s, eventually swam from Cuba to um, Florida, and it, you know, it was this incredible triumph. Some of her claims and achievements are disputed, and that's an ongoing conversation that I'm seeing online. But anyway, in this movie, Annette Benning, who of course still does not have an Oscar, plays somebody who... I think everybody in their lives knows like a like a staunch, obstinate, butch gym teacher vibe. And yet, weirdly, mm -hmm. we don't see that a lot in movies, particularly with women playing them. I feel like this is going to be a secretly very relatable movie and it's going to get it's going to mm -hmm. gain from word of mouth. <laughs> Wait, who in the trunch bowl? Yeah. Oh, yeah. OK, I'm sure that she was many young girls lesbian awakening. Oh, sure. Oh. First of all, the fit. Let's talk about that. That's how a headmistress yes, okay. dresses. <laughs> and the chokey, that is that is where you're putting heterosexuality. <laughs> the chokey is one of the great words of all time, even though Roald Dahl is so fucking sick, it's wrong. Truly, children, <laughs> I, I always say Roald Dahl is the first time a kid uh, says the words, what the fuck, to himself. Half the shit in those books is just like unspeakably shitty. Yeah, the BFG was a real experience as a child right. reading that book. So, um, but he is friendly <laughs> for now, right? Um, yeah, you know, Halloween is coming up, right? It's on my mind, and uh, it is it on your mind because you wear the same costume every two years. Well, let you me tell you something: the costume I have coming up is a variation on that theme. And I'm concerned okay. because I realize that even video game characters in their cartoony outfits can be considered cultural appropriation. So I had to find mm -hmm. a version of this outfit that is not that. I got the, um, the well, I'll just give it away. The Street Fighter Alpha version where Chun-Li wears the jumpsuit and not the version where she wears the Chinese dress. or That's called the Chong Sam. Mm. Um, and I'm, re I'm realizing like, oh, yeah, that is pretty... You have to watch out for that. It's just like, no, I don't want to go out there being like, I'm wearing a Chinese dress. Can you believe it? You know? I mean, I feel like I'm always Chun-Li because I love being the bad guy. Okay. You know, you're taunting me again. You know, <laughs> I hate that. She's a good guy. You can, she's a play, she's a playable character to put it in the parlance of Gen Z. Yeah. Uh, okay. I like Chun-Li for you. This is, this is a switch up. Well, it's also just like she's the character I actually played as growing up. I was never Guile or uh, Ryu. I was once upon a time. Imagine choosing those characters. They're slow and mean. That's fair. I, you know, people always say that the gays gravitate towards Chun-Li. And I did always gravitate towards Chun-Li. But there were some men that I loved. I loved Vega. Well, no, Vega. Very oh, queer coded. Oh, excuse me. Now, that, now, that is a performer. That is a delicious <laughs> young lady. That is a salacious young woman. Uh, yes, he wore the mask. He had the braid and yet was like slick and fast. Very queer coded. Very queer coded. And who is that? Who's that Hulk character with the bad hair? Blanca, the green one. Blanca. Yes. yes. Okay. We love Blanca. I loved um, the African with the long legs. Very racist. Hold on. Uh, are you, you're not talking about DJ, the Jamaican character. Oh, you're are you talking about me, uh, Dalsam, who is uh, from India? Dalsam. Yes. Yeah. I'm oh, mm. sorry. Indian. Never yes. mind. Okay. Who had like the now skull I'm necklaces? A little dicey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, Street Fighter was very culturally <laughs> questionable all over the place. And yet it's also the reason some of us know any geography whatsoever. So I have to thank it ultimately. <laughs> Street Fighter and Where in the World is Carmen San Diego saved my life in school. Right, right, right. Now, this is interesting because SAG has new rules about what you can, if you're in SAG, what Halloween yes. costumes you can dress as technically because yes. you don't want to be promoting struck material. Yeah, so SAG AFTRA posted a flyer with guidelines for observing the holiday without undermining the ongoing strike, which, of course, hit its 100th day on Friday. Wow, coming right up on the Writers Guild numbers. I'm kind of surprised, yeah. and yet, okay, fine. Um, the union instructed members to avoid dressing up as characters from struck content and instead opt for generalized characters and figures like ghosts, zombies, and spiders. They also demanded that its members refrain from posting costumes from struck content on social media. Uh, that means Barbie, Wednesday Adams, Spider-Man, etc. All things George Santos has claimed to be. This is me using my late night writing con- <laughs> comedy brain. Sorry. Sorry. Um, uh, 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 He's back, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that guy's finally like going to court. It's so crazy how long these things take. Anyway. Um, I... What, I'm going to save that for my keep it, actually. So Okay. Uh, no, I'm going to say it now. Oh, all right. Speaking of George Santos, so what, there was someone tweeting that gays are part of the problem by, you know, celebrating him online. Okay. And this this is government, and this is real <laughs> life. And, you know, you're, you're so, like, if he had abs, that, there was a tweet about how if he had abs, it would be even worse because we'd be hanging out with George Santos, et cetera. No one is hanging out with George Santos. He's going to prison. Yeah. <laughs> what? What a take. Okay. Also, it's like, you, like, okay, I understand, like, it's serious that he is given any power whatsoever and he's like a complete fraud. But at the same time, who is celebrating him? I mean, he's like buffoonish. <laughs> it's like, imagine, actually, he's the only time I've used the word buffoon in the past year. Well, speaking of buffoons, he went on Megan McCain's new podcast. Oh, we love which journalism. Which is called Megan McCain Has Entered the Chat. What a long-ass stupid name for a podcast. One. Two, the only time you want to listen to Megan McCain is when Whoopi Goldberg or Joy Behar are telling her to shut the fuck up. Right, and like chasing her with a feather duster or whatever happens on the view. Yeah. <laughs> Using the off. Uh, Using the cane from the Apollo Theater <laughs> to, to, to get her off stage. <laughs> A little shuffling of Meghan McCain. Also, if Meghan McCain is entering the chat, the room is empty. I'm sorry. She's, she's going to be left wanting. <laughs> it's, like it's like when chat rooms used to exist on AOL and you'd enter them wondering if someone's in there to chat and you're the only person in there. You're like, okay, I'll just wait around. Uh, I'm, I'm taking up the modem time on my home computer. This is annoying. I really want to talk about this week's Judging Amy, you know, so I need, I'm hoping, <laughs> hoping someone joins the Judging Amy chat. The idea that you would need to build a community with Judging Amy Watts. <laughs> there was a lot to discuss each week, okay? Oh, sure. No, I bet. I bet. I'm, I'm sure I was preoccupied yeah. with Ellie McBeal at the time. Yes. How did she get her 4C hair to look so good right. each week? I, I have questions. <laughs> what was the hair care? Uh, no, I mean, she, she looked fabulous. I, I still love her to this day. Yeah. 
Um, honestly, George Santos would, there'll probably be quite a few George Santoses for Halloween this year. Oh, yeah. Though he has been around longer than a year, right? I guess he's still in the news. So I was worried for a while that there wouldn't be Barbie costumes because we hit that note so fucking hard over the summer. Like, do we really need to see Barbie costumes again? And it turns out people have a short memory and they're like, well, I still have this Barbie costume, so why not wear it? Apparently it's the most popular costume of the year. Lewis, we went to 16 Barbie parties on right. Fire Island in one weekend. No, okay? right. Like, the, the, people are not moving on. Right. Also, it's just so easy to dress as. It's like if you have anything pink at all, it counts, you know? So I also think that there is a bit of weirdness in this with the whole dressing up as struck characters thing because – are you really promoting Spider-Man if you dress as Spider-Man? Right, right, right. Also, I mean, like, who, who what's the police agency that's going to, like, report you to, you know, the feds because you, you know, dressed as uh, Bugs Bunny or whatever, and he's a scab. So there you have it. <laughs> Jesse Plemons is going to come in, yeah. and he is, he is going to be investigating. <laughs> I want to actually see the, maybe... I mean, it sounds like I'm writing an SNL sketch at this point, right? But, you know, the Celebrity Halloween Task Force. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, there, there are, are you so going to show it to J-Lo's house? Oh, my God. There's so many glaring <laughs> moments in celebrity history regarding Halloween. I mean, like, I don't have to bring up what's-her-name from uh, uh, or Julianne Huff. I mean, like, I, I'm still uh, getting over that, where she played. Well, it was Crazy Eyes from Orange Crazy is the Eyes, New Black, yes. right? Woof. Okay. Life is short, and that's still one of the things on my on my mind. I can't believe it. Well, this year I was planning to go as um, the Amazing Chan from the Amazing Chan and the Chan Clan. Do you oh. think that'll be racist? <laughs> you know what? I think if you dig deep, it definitely will be. <laughs> I went and bought some paint this morning. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> I need to leave. What if I just leave before we get into the episode? What are we talking about today? I- we are talking about the two biggest events of the week. Yes, which the are Killers of the Flower Moon, mm-hmm. a, a movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Martin Scorsese's new film. I can't wait to talk about this film with you. I feel like you have some thoughts. Yeah, I and do. And I feel like I feel like they don't match mine. Oh, interesting. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, uh, and then also this week, Britney Spears released her new memoir. The Woman in Me. And I just want to be clear, this book came out milliseconds ago. Like, we made the decision, okay, we're going to find a PDF. Okay, we're going to comb through it. We're going to comb Twitter. I'm going to start listening to the audiobook, which is read, of course, by Michelle Williams. Um, White Michelle Williams. Yes, important distinction. Um, Because, by the way, the other Michelle Williams does come up in this episode. Just be aware of that. Um, But (laughs) um, uh, it's a pretty juicy and pretty angry book. So uh, there's a lot to discuss there. I'm excited about it. I do have to say, before we get into it, I'm still mad that the book is called The Woman and Me. I know it's a song lyric of hers, but it's like it's like mm-hmm. if Pink Floyd came out with an album and they're like, and it's called Led Zeppelin Four. No, that's a title that belongs to somebody else. Her name is Shania Twain. Mm, you think it should have been another song lyric? I got your crazy. That di- this is why you wrote a book. This is why you're in publishing. <laughs> I got your crazy is so it. Wow. Yeah. Um, did you see the Sherry Shepard called her crazy this week me, on God. Watch What Happens Live? At Issa Rae sitting next to her, and she is like, uh, <laughs> okay, girl. <laughs> Why am I in it? Sherry Shepard is the weirdest combination of, like, 
benign in an actressy way, and yet also kind of a wild card. Like, I don't know what I'm going to get from her on that Wendy Williams show, because she's obviously filling the shoes of Wendy Williams, who is, you know, purposely incendiary all the time. But now it's just Sherry. Yeah, right, right. And yes, Where exactly. she famously talked to Shirley Ralph about, like, fucking her son. No, she didn't talk to her about it. She simulated fucking Shirley Ralph's son on the floor while talking about him. <laughs> they never did that on Carson. Really weird. <laughs> Times have changed. You know, he would just ask um, <laughs> about women's vaginas. Right, no, How's yeah, it doing today? Yeah, to, to, like, Dr. Joyce Brothers, right, exactly. Yes, yeah. I miss her. Oh, I know. When she would just be on a... And, uh, she, I just saw her. I rewatched The King of Comedy, another Martin Scorsese movie. And of course, like everything else from that time period, she just appears. Like she's just allowed yeah. to be there. <laughs> <laughs> she was a smart looking woman with a kind of Hitchcock blonde, Eva Marie Saint haircut. And we just were like, of course you get to do PSAs all the time, be on every sitcom in a guest role, even though you're not a personality. So weird. Such a weird anomaly Her of the time. and Dr. Ruth oh, would always appear everywhere. Yeah. Honestly, I feel like we, we've talked about Gen Z. We've talked about sexuality. I think, you know what we really need to bring back? We need to bring back sexperts. Oh, okay? yes. We need, we need old, smart people, usually women, not like a Dr. Drew type. That's when we got a little too salacious. We need women who are old, just on TV talking about intercourse. Right. And being like, it wasn't lubricated enough, like making it not sexy at all. Just like you're on a hotline dealing with a, a dispatcher. Yeah, that was sex ed for a lot of people, you know? <laughs> right. No, I, I mean, like I, I think back all the time about how I didn't know anything until, but like that was the beginning of it. Like before you got to sex yeah. ed in high school, you know? Now Gen Z has Tiffany Haddish uh, throating <laughs> a uh, grapefruit. Right. Right. <laughs> on every Girl, channel at all time you can see you can, you can never not see that movie it's on every channel all the time okay my last non sequitur okay before we start this show i saw kim petras last week at um the brooklyn mirage and then mm -hmm. i went to her after party that she had at zero bond why was tiffany haddish there she is just everywhere i think just uh, just just cavorting around and just just but pointing her fingers out, doing very like like a like a white woman listening to Motown in the big chill. It was very <laughs> what what's going on here? You know what and I think it is. Every time people looked over, they were like, "What are you doing here?" But I think the deal is she has a single out now with Lil John, so maybe it's about associating with other musicians. And I did listen to the song, and yeah, you know, sometimes things don't <laughs> really end up sounding like a song, even though you went to record a song. They're not song-like mm. and that was i would say one of them you know i don't really foresee a jamie fox style music career from her yeah like how he went from comedy to blaming on the alcohol and unforgettable that like his music era was pretty good yeah no he had a number one hit he's like one of those oscar anomaly people who had, as an acting oscar and a number one hit like uh share barbara streisand etc so mm -hmm. and um also meryl yeah, <laughs> Ricky. Rick, Rick, Ricky got a number one hit, right? That's right. And also, yeah, she uh, she scat song on the Giver soundtrack. Uh, as you know, it was a dystopia. <laughs> I think the Giver, by the way, is the worst Meryl Streep movie. If I if I had to pick a number one, and by the way, of course, she's on my mind because she turns out she's secretly divorced or separated from Don Gummer or whatever. And I'm like, we need a famous actress married to like a sometime sculptor. I'm sorry, it upsets me that they're not together. <laughs> you know. 
I would say that one of her worst films is, I mean, Iron Lady is pretty bad. It is terrible. And so is The Prom. I forgot she was in that. The Prom. The Prom, like, started out good, and then... Well, I mean, it's the Ryan Murphy thing. It starts out good. You're like, wow, whiz bang. Yeah. Uh, you know, old school musical chops. And then it kind of gets lost yeah. in a story that's really soupy. Remember when we had to pretend to like that in an interview? <laughs> oh, I do. I do. I remember. I, I, I was thinking back. I was like, who's in that movie? Oh, no, I remember. Yeah. The prom. Honestly, the Nicole Kidman scene was memorable. Oh, Zaz? Please. I still have yeah, Zaz. Yeah, Zaz. I was Zazz. diagnosed with Zaz last week. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but, of course, Meryl Streep did her whole Will and Jada thing. That that also happened this week. I, it happened so quickly, though. It was buried on the Friday night. Yeah, right, I right, I feel right. like. She buried the fuck out of that news. And I feel like everyone was just on their phones telling each other, wait, Meryl Streep has been separated from her husband for like six, seven years? What? Yeah, no, it's crazy. <laughs> Who else is secretly separated in Hollywood? Yeah. That's what I want to know. Stand up. Be counted. <laughs> All right, we have Josh Sharp and Aaron Jackson here this week to talk about their new film, Dicks, the musical. The last time I saw them, I was in Fire Island, so I'm wearing my naughty Fire Island meat rack shirt in their honor. I hope you all enjoy it. <laughs> we'll be right back with more Keep It. We're big fans of Karyuma. They make cool, eco-friendly shoes that we basically wear 24-7. I sleep in them. <laughs> I keep telling you to stop doing that, but you are committed to the brand. <laughs> We're excited to be releasing our second collabo with them, Karyuma and Love It or Leave It. There's just something about fall that makes you want to go get new shoes. So why not get ones made with organic cotton canvas, natural rubber, cork, and recycled plastics? It doesn't hurt. They have tiny surfing dogs on them. They come in pink and black and feature a whimsical scene that'll absolutely put some pep in your step. Plus, Kiriuma plants two trees in the Brazilian rainforest for each pair purchased. And as always, the Crooked Store donates a portion of the proceeds from every purchase to Vote Save America's Every Last Vote Fund, supporting organizations that work year-round to support access to the ballot and empower new voters to participate in the process. Run, don't walk, but not until you get a pair of shoes at crooked.com slash store. Martin Scorsese is back, and this time he's brought his two favorite muses, Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro, for the Western crime drama Killers of the Flower Moon. But before we dive into the film itself, Lewis, uh -huh. pop quiz. All right. What were the other two movies Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro starred in together? Oh, Jesus. This should be easy. Come on, Lewis. Uh... I'm sorry. I'm like good at knowing these things and it's not coming to mind immediately. Um, you'll have to tell me. What is it? This Boy's Life. Wow. Okay. I'm sorry. I didn't realize I had to dig. Okay. Go ahead. And Marvin's Room. They are both in that. That's the rare movie where they're both. Well, like Robert De Niro was very much in a supporting role. Um, mm -hmm. And it's because uh, Diane Keaton is nominated for that. And then Meryl Streep is also a star of it, but less flashy than the Diane Keaton role. Who cast this? It's so shocking. And then Leonardo DiCaprio is sort of like an arms folded angsty teen, if I remember correctly. And that's the year before Titanic. Gwen Verdon's in it too. It's, I actually have not seen this film and I wonder okay. if it, if it holds up. 
It has that 90s kind of Miramaxy vibe. I don't think it's a Miramax movie, but. Ugh, I don't know if I want to watch a 90s movie about leukemia. <laughs> it's very in the, what's that Renee Zellweger? <laughs> One True Thing, also with Meryl Streep. Meryl was just doing shit in the 90s. No, huh? she, right. She's like, I, I got to get out of the house. I have too many kids with the last name Gummer. I'm sick of it. What was her what was her comeback from doing schlocky 90s things? Uh, I mean like she I, I mean like uh, Mamma Mia is the a hours? Part, but she was in like the, the, the hours adaptation, you know. Mm, okay. I feel like it was around the late 90s 2000s. Uh right, right, right. Cuz yeah, she had a 90s streak that was like like dancing at Lufnaza and movie movies like that. I don't even think that's how you pronounce that word where it was like prestige but sort of falling under the radar. Dancing at Lufnaza. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Which I've never seen. No, imagine having Which seen I've that. Seen. Yeah. Well, I've never seen it because it at Loyola Chicago. Uh, one year we did the play, and oh, okay. sitting through the play, I was like, "I'm never watching this fucking movie." I'll tell you that. <laughs> Irish women sitting around a kitchen. Yeah, right, right, and right. dancing at Lunasa at that. <laughs> Maybe if they were at the Blarney Stub. Right, right, right. Waking Ned Divine was my Irish movie from that time that I watched. That was a little cuter, a little quainter. Mine was Colin Farrell's sex tape. Oh. (laughs) Lots of character development in that, I do have to say. Yeah. Anyway, this film, Marty is like 80. Yeah. He's been making movies since his 20s. So he is, he's really packing them out there. And I have to say... I love this movie. I My experience peaked with really liked, but I really liked the movie, mm-hmm. which is crazy. I'm not somebody who thinks movies need to be short or anything, but three and a half hours mm-hmm. is a bit of an ask. If I had a criticism, I would say, I do think it could be a half hour shorter. That said, you're never despairing at the length because it's giving, it's such a, here's a word I hate that fucking movie critics use, but I'm going to go ahead and use it. Sumptuous. Like you're, it's such an immersive movie. I would actually say maybe for Martin Scorsese, I hope this doesn't sound too glib. It's a little bit like what Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was for Quentin Tarantino in that tone-wise, it's softer than what they usually do. And it's I think it almost feels like you're wearing a VR headset and just exploring this world a little bit. But it's not hitting you over the head with um, stage design either. It's a, it, it's just an awesome, believable universe. And then you get you understand really quickly the historical dynamic at play. But I'll let you go first. Tell me what you liked about it. I kind of loved it. I feel like, obviously, the movie is long. I took a quick bathroom break. But I really felt that the the beginning of the film, the first two acts were really what sold it for me. That's the part that I loved, I would say. I liked the third act. If I'm letterboxing it, it's getting four stars, not five. Mm-hmm. It's not. I like the Irishman better, actually. I think that's the Irishman crazy. Was I definitely more of think a, this is better than the Irishman, but I agree. It's a four. This is a four star movie out of five for me. Uh, Killers of the Flower Moon. Mm, the Irishman, I'd probably give four and a half. I feel like the Irishman for me felt more staggering and that it felt like that was from that year where we were getting Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. We were also getting Pain and Glory from Almodovar. It felt like the directors that we'd been growing up with, uh, I mean, directors who were making films before we were born, obviously, were sort of aging and they were making films Mm. about aging and they were making films about their careers and they felt more assured. It felt like they were really talking about aging in their lives and they they almost felt like they were memoirs in in uh a sense, you know? Like sort of like Romana Clefs of their life. And this film for me felt... 
great when it was first just felt like we were learning about the the people in Oklahoma. We were learning about the um, tribe. We were learning about Leonardo DiCaprio. It was all folding together into a story. I wasn't sure where it was going at first. And then once it hooked in um, with Robert De Niro being, you know, basically this sort of mob character who was controlling this town and murdering Native Americans for their money. That felt wicked and evil and it was fun and it hooked me and I was along for the ride. I feel like when I got to the point of liking it and not loving it was once he Leonardo DiCaprio was arrested. You know, totally. It That's exactly what it is. trial. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I felt then we basically just started rehashing points of the film that we'd already seen. And I don't love a courtroom drama that much, which is weird because I've established that one of my favorite TV procedurals are legal dramas. Mm-hmm. But I feel like when you're hooked in there for a stupid procedural, that's fine. You're going to be along for that ride. And if you're watching something like The Good Wife or something, they're giving you something different each time with the trial, right? This There felt like nothing new was being added with the courtroom stuff. And also it's just like at, at that point in the movie, like Leonardo DiCaprio is just straight up glowering for an hour, you know, like, right. Like, and also th- that's something that's interesting about this movie is something I appreciate is that I didn't feel like it was chock full of huge acting moments. Like they, it was really mm. telling a story and it wasn't about any one actor being like, uh, the greatest or most dramatic or, you know, you, you really were just absorbing mm. the way these characters live. And so it made it seem more realistic that there wasn't, there weren't too many outburst scenes, even though I think, I think Robert De Niro was probably a front runner for the supporting actor Oscar in this movie. I don't mm. think Leo is going to win. No, absolutely not. He'll get nominated, of course, because yeah. he's Leo. Right. But I feel, I want Lily Gladstone to be nominated. Mm. She's fantastic as Molly. But my other problem with the film is she completely drops out in the third act. The, the movie gets away from her in, in a way that surprises you. Because something about her, the way they introduce her character and just the way she presents herself, there's like a – she's kind of serene but also cerebral. Like you don't really know the full story going on in her head any, at any given time. She voices suspicions about her husband and uh, white people in general that are it, – it, it sets an interesting tone early in the movie. And then for her to kind of just go away and then appear in one final moment in a confrontation with him, that did really surprise me. And that is where I get back to the conflict that is surrounding the discussion of this film, obviously, is should Scorsese have made this film? It centers – Ernest, it centers Leonardo DiCaprio's white character, and it basically shows them systematically murdering Native Americans until it gets to the end point where it's the system is evil, white people are evil, etc. It works from that perspective because at the end you have to have Lily Gladstone sort of come to this realization about who her husband is. This idea that maybe he participated in evil, but did he love me? Would he hurt me? Etc. Which means that you have to have her basically drop out of parts of the film so that you can get that scene at the end. But I'm not so invested in that scene that I didn't want her coming to her own realizations about her family or what was being done with her. And, you know, you, I think the scene where she goes to D.C. and asks the president to send someone to help her people is something that was invented for the film. So if they gave her a bit of agency there in that scene, 
but it's just one brief scene. I need it. I need it to know more of her interiority. And yeah. I think that Scorsese is very good at that with directing. There's so many scenes where you see her walking through town and just the faces of white people staring at her. And she, you feel her loss as well. I mean, there's each time someone in her family dies, just the like the guttural screams that she lets out are like they're they're still with me right now. But yeah, yeah I really was just missing some more from her. And I get that. Listen, this is an important story to be told, and it's one of those things where it feels like, you know, Spielberg making The Color Purple. There was no black director who was going to be allowed to make that film at that time, right? Mm -hmm. There's no indigenous director who's going to be allowed to make this film right now, except for Taika Waititi, and ain't nobody trying to see that. Uh, So (laughs) Interesting choice, um, yeah. Right. Someone tweeted about that. that. There was a tweet from someone about how there should have been an indigenous director to do it, like Taika Waititi, except it probably would have been more funny. And I was like, it would have been something. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> we saw Jojo Rabbit. You've got my mind so. racing. I don't know. Uh, no, I, I think also, though, there is like a narrative benefit to not placing uh, her and her family at the absolute center of the movie, because as I saw somebody tweet, I believe, I, I think I saw this in a tweet. I don't think it was an article I read. Um, you then the audience would then probably identify with those characters and sort of be like, oh, I ch- I would behave this way. When it's not about identifying with them, it's about saying, mm-hmm. no, you're the white people. Like you, here's mm-hmm. like banality takes over, and you you think you have these complex emotions, but ultimately you end up doing the evil thing. You know, just because it ends mm-hmm. up being more convenient and advantageous for you. So um, I think, and also this is something that is wrapped up at the end of the movie, which is also a, a sort of surprising take from Martin Scorsese at the end of the movie. Um, it takes, on, it, it turns into the, the visual world we're in goes away. And we're suddenly on stage at a radio drama where people are acting mm-hmm. out the atrocities towards um, uh, the Osage. And you're just, you're hearing these like pleasant um, sounds, you know, like the way radio dramas work, like you hear come the footsteps Mm -hmm. and stuff and people are on stage and actors are playing these roles and we know they're actors. And I think that's Martin Scorsese saying, yeah, the entire film that precedes this is also a simulacrum. It's also, um, you know, uh, I'm a white director of some advantage putting on an entertainment, not, you know, Mm -hmm. there there are, there are, um, there, there are reasons this is problematic that I'm telling this story. But ultimately, through this illusion, we can draw some conclusions. And I thought that was a pretty smart way to uh, end the film. And then, of course, he says the final lines of the film. I found that scene more of an indictment, too, of history, particularly because a lot of the impersonations in that scene of people were kind of racist. Yeah. And obviously, the radio drama, the line I laughed the hardest at in the movie uh, (laughs) was... um, because behind behind them on the curtain, it's, it, there's a big Lucky Strike cigarette bar. And then someone says, uh, let me light myself a Lucky Strike cigarette or something to that effect. Yeah. And it was like, of course. An advertisement. It's, yeah. big, it's an advertisement. And I think that was more also an indictment of like true crime podcasting or TikToks. Mm-hmm. And as you know, Scorsese is an avid TikTok participant. Yes. Thanks to his daughter. He does good work uh, on it. Yes. <laughs> and so um, – I don't know. It was interesting him using, I feel like, almost a modern element in this film that was period. And um, yeah, just the fact that this evil atrocity sort of happened, but then it's just packaged into entertainment for people. The same way that the entertainment 
of people dying and like the Tulsa massacre or other atrocities were being watched on screen by people within the movie, Robert De Niro's character as entertainment. You know, one of the wildest scenes I think of indicting the characters in this movie was just how the KKK is just sort of there. Oh, hanging out. They're They're in the parade behind the other horses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. They're just, uh, Uh, I think it was, I think it's a very good movie. I think, he had this itch to scratch, and I'm glad that he was able to do it. I think that for a white director to make this film, he is one of the ones you're more okay with doing it. I mean, he has his world cinema initiative. Like, this is a man who loves cinema, loves world cinema, loves cultures, and has worked to preserve other film cultures for decades, you know, so that these films can continue to live on uh, and sort of be seen by other audiences. So in that respect, I respect what he's done in the film. Yeah. I think that I would love to see in the future a film about this story or another similar story from someone else. But, you know, it it felt very... um Felt very Tony Hillerman novel. Yes. Quite. If you remember those. Yes. Oh, yes. Um, I was obsessed with those as a kid, mostly because my grandmother loved crime dramas. She would listen to like Perot and radio things in the car, and she would read novels to like Stephen King and other mysteries. And when I first found a Tony Hillerman, I was pulled into just the um the covers the covers were always so interesting so right, i read right, through right. all of her tony hillerman novels and then went to get more at the library as a kid and i guess i never realized that he was just a white man right right <laughs> as a kid but you know had also lived on a reservation and gotten to know native americans when he was writing the story and i actually i don't know i would love to actually hear from listeners who maybe have read those or maybe indigenous people if that's if if those books are marred in some sort of cultural appropriation or thing because i don't think we really even talk about those books anymore now um also speaking of spooky things so um jesse plemons shows up at the in this movie Mm. at some point there really is something about i was shook there was something about this actor (laughs) i didn't know he was in it he should always just show up because there's something so <laughs> bracing about him. Like, it's like the same feeling you get when he shows up in game night, right? And mm. it's just like something about him being at your door and just looking at you is like totally turns a movie on its head. It's just completely correct. <laughs> he turned it into an A24 movie. Yeah. Like, it's, it's scary. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah, Why yeah. is Jesse Plemons here? And, you, and he never, and the like, guys never gives way. There's just something impenetrably ooky about uh, what he brings to a movie. I will say that the FBI stuff, it was great when they arrived, too. And there's obviously an indictment of the FBI, too, and J. Edgar Hoover, because you think he's coming to save these people. And, like, we know historically the FBI has never saved anybody's life. (laughs) (laughs) Usually they're responsible for murdering people. (laughs) But there was the one Native American character who was part of the FBI. I guess he they were undercover or something, and I felt like that subplot was very, was very loose. Yeah, to right, me. Right. I didn't. I, he just sort of appeared, and I was thinking it was going to be one thing, and then it wasn't, and then he was just sort of there, and he also wasn't fully developed as a character. So that felt a little bit by the wayside too. Right. But overall, 
really damn good movie. I lit up I lit up a cigarette when I left that theater, okay? And, and I keep thinking about this movie in regards to the Oscar conversation because the only best picture winner Martin Scorsese had is The Departed. Um, you know, everything else has passed. Uh, you Criminal. Know, se- several um, Oscar wins in acting, of course. You've got your Ellen Burstyn and Ellis Doesn't Live Here Anymore. You've got uh, Raging Bull, mm-hmm. uh, Robert De Niro, Kate Blanchett and The Aviator, lots and lots of things like that. But I feel like this is the movie that could push him into a second best picture win. I just, it feels very hard to deny. There's so much, in addition to history mm-hmm. being told, it's so much movie. I mean, again, you used the word cinematic before, but it's like, it really takes somebody of his caliber to bring the amount of detail and just like, I, I'll, I'll call it watchability to something that epic, you know? Mm-hmm. Although I will say, fourth favorite collaboration with leo and your first are you i think gigs of new york is your favorite is it not gigs of new york is my favorite but um wolf of wall street is right up there with that yeah that's, i mean that's a fucking spectacular film that i actually have not rewatched lately and i haven't rewatched gigs of new york lately so if i rewatch those maybe those two could shift those are sort of scream scream two for me it can go either way for both it. of those and third i would put the departed I love The Departed. I enjoy The Departed. It is just crazy to me that Mark Wahlberg is the one who got the acting nomination from that movie because he is playing it to like, <laughs> what 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 bleachers is he playing to in that movie? It's just like, so you're the loudest mm-hmm. is what, what's going on yeah. here. Um, and then Shutter Island and then The Aviator obviously is at the bottom. I think The Aviator is okay. It's just a movie that needs to be edited. It's just like there's parts yeah. that aren't as good. I feel that way about The Wolf of Wall Street too. I rewatched my favorite Scorsese movie over the weekend, The King of Comedy with Robert De Niro. Mm. First of all, Robert De Niro in this movie, it just needs to be said, looks exactly like Mike Lindell. I know that's not a name on anybody's mind recently. <laughs> I work at Jimmy Kimmel where this name comes up every day. But anyway, um, for a movie I love so much, it is not pleasant for a single moment. It so gets something about human nature right, about how some, I'll say driven people, can't be undriven. Like everything in their life mm. is leading up to the next moment and it just gets more and more relevant. Sandra Bernhardt is crazy in that movie. Diane Abbott, uh, former uh, Robert De Niro Par- Paramore, gives a really good performance in it too. Um, and Jerry Lewis, that would have been an inspired supporting nomination we didn't get. If you haven't seen The King of Comedy, watch it. You will you, you will start the movie with chills and end the movie with chills. His 70s films up until the early 80s, I believe that's what, 1982? Yeah, 83, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is... Um, those those are his like bleak films. Those yeah. are his. New York City is cruel. New York City is unforgiving. They're nasty. Alice doesn't live here anymore. Is is sort of not within that genre, except um, once she gets t- together with Chris Christopherson, and then he's just sort of like controlling and weird. Um, and but then she is sort of ruined their relationship. That also becomes sort of a depressing film. It's not really until. After Hours and like 85 where he's like, I'm having fun making yeah. movies. That, yeah, that movie is a uh, guy just scampering <laughs> around, meeting the craziest people you've ever met. I don't love that movie, but I, I do sort of appreciate that it exists. Good Terry Gard performance. Yeah, the After Hours is more of a f- film I appreciate than I, a film where I'm like, this is one of Scorsese's best films. It, yeah. is, it is just fun that he made that movie between king of comedy and then that's his kooky era yeah it's then very he follows kooky. that up with he follows that up with last um, temptation of christ i believe yeah with the color of money oh of course yes 86 like which, i'm just gonna make a i'm just gonna make a sequel to the hustler yeah right 
and that's a weird best actor win. Not that Paul Newman is bad in it, but he's given so many better performances. I do love Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio in that movie. And my theory about her is she would have would have had a much bigger career, but then Julia Roberts came along and had the exact same silhouette. And we couldn't have two of them. Mm. And you know my you know my man's in that movie. Mr. T, yes. Mr. Tom Mr. Cruise. Mr. T. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. T. Mr. Tom Cruise. All right. Uh, when we're back, we are joined by Josh and Aaron of Dicks. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see Footprints in the Sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams robe. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? <laughs> no? Uh, if you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And (laughs) I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain Mm. it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR and how I live my life every day. Oh, I'm glad to bear witness to it. (laughs) Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of a struggle. It sounds like you at Coachella. I'm already tuned in. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations. There's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives have always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Doesn't the black experience sound like a three-disc Prince album we never got? Someone check the vault, please. <laughs> Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. 
The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Our guests today are gay culture. They've adapted their off-Broadway musical, Fucking Identical Twins, into the wild and hilarious new film, Dicks, the musical. We are delighted to welcome to Keep It the writers and stars of Dicks, Josh Sharp and Aaron Jackson. I also want to incriminate these gentlemen by saying they are also very nice guys and very funny. And also in this movie... Fuck! Why would you do that? I know. I'm sorry to ruin everything for you. Into a microphone, he says that. There's something so like amazing about watching this very, very crazy movie. And like you guys playing these broad, broad characters and yet your actual personality still shine through. Like there was something like, I, I can't believe you pulled that off actually. Are, are you, do, you, do you actually see yourselves in the movie when you watch this? Even though it's so wild? I think definitely because we've been doing it for so long. Because uh, um, as Ira said, it was a, it was a UCB show to call it off. That's off Broadway. It's very very it's not on Broadway. contract in sight. We did it for negative dollars. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but we were doing that in 2014 and 2015. So I don't know. Like we've just been doing these characters for so long, and they're they're a part of us. Well, and also as you saw in the film, Larry was really big on like trying to keep the performance aspect alive and have it feel like you're watching us like put on a show for you. So sort of everyone is like playing a character. Like Nathan Lane is Nathan Lane, you know, and like right, right. Megan The Stallion is Megan The Stallion. So it was very much like the veneer should be thin. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot that it was because I never saw the UCB show. Uh, the off-Broadway show. And so I had <laughs> forgotten that that was its inception. You know, you had some clips um, from the original show at the end during the credits, but it all came to me sort of as you're watching the film, as it's un- the jokes are unfolding, as it gets wilder. And then especially at the end, I was like, of course this was birthed like on a comedy stage in New York because it is truly one of the wildest films <laughs> well, I've seen. I do think ever. that's the fun part about it taking like <laughs> almost a decade and starting as a UCB show is it meant we got to do a lot of things that if it had just been a movie, they'd been like, you can't do this. But there were like roots in this thing where a lot of times like jokes and bits would sneak through and they'd be like, but it worked then. It, we might as well try it in a movie. And I yeah. feel like if it had been a normal development process, you would have gotten a lot more of like, no fucking way can you do this. <laughs> yeah. People are always like, how did you pitch this? And it was like, we just kind of, we had a video of the show. So people either saw the show or if they didn't, you could send the video with the script. And they're like, oh, okay, I get it. But if you were just trying to pitch it, I don't know how you would do it. We open on. (laughs) But that's interesting because I heard that once upon a time, you were actually considering giving this project to like big Hollywood straight actors to play. Well, it first got sold to Fox as a script. And I should be honest, that like train did not get out of the station there. Like they just, we wrote it as a script and then they read it and they were like, God is a faggot. Okay, so it's a no. (laughs) So like no casting was done, but certainly when they were like really preliminary talks, they were like, well, so probably Channing Tatum or something. Like things like that were said where we were like. just done, um, I think Hail Caesar. 
yeah, Hail Caesar. So he'd just done a song and dance. And everyone mm. was like, oh, Channing Tatum would be perfect for this. And we were like, I think people would hate it if he was playing like this toxic fucking guy. And then doubled um, and like Lindsay Lohan. It would have been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should establish that this movie is about two people who don't look anything alike. And they come together and they're both these like, high octane asshole business guys in New York. And then they, the revelation somehow is that they are fucking identical twins, which is the name of the original show. And this entire comedy ensues about them talking about their upbringing and bringing their parents back together, played by Nathan Lane and Megan Mullally. Anyway, it's just nothing you would pitch to a random, uh, I don't know, straight actor, really, honestly. There's no. too, it's too weird, too crazy, too gross. So it's shocking that like people in the in the vein of like Ryan Reynolds might have been interested once upon a time. <laughs> yeah, oh, never totally. would have happened. Never would have happened, I think. But um, I'm sure Paul Mescal would have done it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> With Andrew Scott, maybe. The That's two of them. True. Oh, yeah. <laughs> The closest we got to pitching, like once it was set up at A24, we did like a meeting to talk about it. And one point we were like, we want it to be the hereditary of comedies. And that was yeah. like fully a joke. But they were like, huh, there's something cool. to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> As if that phrase makes any sense at all or means yeah, anything. Yeah. You know? Hereditary, pretty funny on its own, I have to say. When you look back, I'm like, when that girl, legitimately, when that girl puts her head the out beheading. the window, I'm laughing. Yeah. I'm yeah. laughing. <laughs> hereditary is very gay coded. Oh, for sure. Certainly. Anything with I mean, the you've devil. got Tony Collette screaming, yeah, 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 you yeah, know, yeah. I am your mother. And I. Yeah. Of course, of course. Little girl doing tongue pops, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron and I often quote that scene where Ann Dowd sees Tony Collette in like the craft store parking lot. And she, she does like a 40 foot cross. She goes, she truly marches for like 40 feet and goes like, Annie, 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 while she does the, it takes like 30 seconds for her to cross. And all she says I is, love Annie. <laughs> it's so good. I've been meaning to talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That's funny. <laughs> so were there elements of, you know, this show that you really did want to be in the movie that didn't make it to the film? Or were you pretty much just satisfied with everything that you translated from the stage to the screen? We're pretty lucky that I, um, Larry Charles is the director and he loved the stage show. So he would he was very like defensive of that and wanted to get all of it in. So I think what, right, Josh, there's nothing yeah. I mean, like, we cut from the stage show. We, we wanted to cut cause it, it was only 30 minutes. So there's a lot of like plot compression jokes and um, mm-hmm. a lot of like, Oh, it's taking me a long time to change my costume. Cause we also played the parents in that. So like, those jokes mm. you didn't, you did, I was happy to let those go. Yeah, it was, it was only like stuff that was just like, this won't work as a movie. Larry was very big about being like, we have to push it crazier. There was never anyone being right. like, this is too crazy for the movie. Larry was always like, if Were this there... movie doubts itself for one second, the audience will sniff it out. <laughs> yeah, so like, yeah, they'll turn on it. Everybody was on board for that. There were just like mostly <laughs> things where you're like, this is not a movie. This is a two-man show, you know? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe then were there elements that you found that when you first did this show, as fucking identical twins. I guess, how did that show then morph to become the final stage show that you then were pitching? Because I have to assume you never first did. did this. That's what I mean. Like, oh, we, were, okay. we were doing it as this half-hour show for like a year and a half, mm. never fucking once thinking it would be a movie. We thought at best yeah. we'd get a general meeting at Comedy Central. Yeah. And then like, <laughs> as it was wrapping up, this producer was like, would you want to pitch it as a movie? And we were like, funny story, it's based on a movie we're ripping off the parent trap. And that's what led to... Uh, 
the Fox script. So like once it yeah. got in script land, we like killed it as a live show basically. So it never got the like sort of normal, like how do you develop it into a two hour stage show that becomes a movie? It was like, Nope. The, it was very proof of concept. The old show. Also, there's something about this movie, like, I'm not saying we're in a universe really of gay respectability politics anymore, but like, you know, like things like Heartstopper in the air that are very like pleasing and palatable and like the the colors are like very Crayola and, you know, you can <laughs> yes. take it in easily. This movie is so often puerile and like in your face and like, like gross and, uh, but like hilarious in a way that. I can only associate with certain like comics I grew up with, like movies like Jim Carrey movies and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Was, was that like something you felt you had to push? Like you wanted to make it grosser. You wanted to make it, you know, I, I don't know, like because there's something is defiant about that. I think still. We grew up on all those movies, those '90s movies like Austin Powers, mm-hmm. all the Jim Carreys, like Zoolander, and I, and even as we're a bit older, but like Anchorman and all that. And I we loved those movies where it's just like it, it, it is broad. We are playing characters, like no 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 one is like saying, oh, this could really happen. I mean, it's all very very elevated and stylized. But those are all like very straight. And you don't really have a lot of like a gay, there's never been like that many gay POV versions of that. So while we love those things like Heartstopper and and Love, Simons and all of these more like palatable gay stories, it's like, what about this (laughs) disgusting aspect of being gay that's really fun and just like sort of reveling in filth? And um, and Which, getting like, to play in that silly kind of joke aligned world that yeah, I love. and then like John Waters laid the track for that well, as well. Right, no, right. but then then like to get to do almost the South Park version, which is like that's rooted in a much more I feel like libertarian sensibility. But when you get to root it in a very queer sensibility, that's like you already think I'm gross, so I might as well be grosser. You know, like it yeah. felt like <laughs> it was like fun to play with that. But everything is like well, it's all John Waters. It's just John Waters with right. maybe maybe more jokes. You know, but like because when it comes to those '90s movies like Austin Powers, etc., I feel like the one thing about them that usually ends up being extremely dated is if they make a gay joke or you know it like oh yeah, yeah, or the, yeah there's some subplot where you're like oh my or like an ace ventura or whatever you know it's just like yeah that one is so it's particularly a- i think like <laughs> incredible to make it extremely gay because we never got that right when it came to broadness yeah. you know it is funny <laughs> yeah. that gross out comedies have really been the providence of straight men it's very rare yeah. that we've let queers do like full gross out comedies and Bridesmaids is like, I love Bridesmaids. And there's the diarrhea scene, but that's kind of the only like gross out moment of Bridesmaids. The rest of it is just so fucking funny. But like, and that's a little more rooted in reality. Bridesmaids. It's not full. Right. Like MacGruber that Chris, Chris also in like that, which is not reality. Yeah. <laughs> also, Aaron and I just like jokes and we end up talking a lot about the like really outrageous offensive stuff, but we're like, there's just as much in the movie that's like stupid or silly or absurd or can't be. It's just like the idea that you could push jokes like a hundred directions is what's fun to us. And so a part of that is like the gross out stuff, but it's also like, there's a minute and a half of Megan Mullally improvising, just pointing at the wrong thing. And that's like <laughs> not gross at all. You know what I mean? So it's like, there's like a lot of just like, how can we milk a joke out of everything? The whole concept of running in the sewer was really my, <laughs> the thing I loved the most, even climbing into the sewer. So that comedy worked for Real Scooby-Doo uh, shit, yeah. Aaron, tell yes. me what your mom said on set that day. So my, my mom came to visit set, um, and it was the day we were shooting the sewer stuff, and I was kind of showing her around. The second she sees the sewer, she's like, oh, um, because you were obsessed with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles as a little boy. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, she just, like, peeled into my brain. I was like, you're right. <laughs> and it never 
was like, let's honor the Ninja Turtles. But I was like, oh my God, she, she who had seen me like come Red, in, you like, down. this is the influence. Oh, and your mom acting like a TV psychic, just like putting, yes. extending her hand out and being like, I know what this is. But yeah, again, I love like, we love filth and we I just thought it was so funny to like go under the city for the climax of the movie. Also, those sewer boys are just so fun. It was like, we have to, we have to save them. We have to go on a chase scene with them. Oh, yeah. We should explain that these sewer boys are, um, I'm going to call them a pair of pets that Nathan Lane, the uh, estranged uh, dad character, possesses. And they are, I believe, are they are they generated with puppets, if I saw the end sequence correct, uh, yeah, correctly? Yes. You will not believe these creatures or what they do. <laughs> They're the breakout stars of the film, truly. They really yes. are. <laughs> it's, Jim Henson could never, okay? No. Jim Henson could so, never. We yes. could never afford yeah. it. Yeah. That's yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Can you talk about the okay, development but, of this as like a concept? Because, you know, it's just, again, so gross I can't believe it, which is a, a motif running through this movie. In the, in the stage show, they were just kind of a throwaway joke because we – the, the dad character is a man in his 60s and he's just coming out. And Josh and I were kind of like having fun with that idea of like misunderstanding gay culture. Like this character is like, I'm gay and fabulous. But then he, it's like, nothing you're doing is gay. This is horrible. <laughs> um, so we just thought it would be funny. Like, how do you really heighten that? And we're like, well, instead of what if he, instead of cute little corgis, what if he had these like disgusting monsters and um, thinks that they're gay culture? And then when we had a little bit more money for the movie, we got to actualize them. And then you just sort of, we were just having so much fun. They just kept, <laughs> and always executives would be like, so they're little boys that he fucks? And we're like, no, 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 they're little monsters. He keeps in a cage. Why can't you understand this? <laughs> but um, yeah, we just enjoyed um, we enjoyed that world. But I do love all those like gremlins and um, labyrinth. And, yeah, like, yeah. and even like Jurassic Park, like the practical. Practical parts are my favorite parts. So we were always like, pass to puppets. There was a brief time they were like, they wanted it to be Cirque du Soleil performers. And we were like, no, no, no. We were like, no, that'll be no. scary. That'll be, that'll be like, that'll, you'll feel uneasy. That will feel like he's fucking them. Yeah. Like now it's very clear he's not fucking them. They're just monsters in a cage. I did. I just thought of this right now. It reminds me of in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles when they do their origin story and like you yes. see the turtles being born and stuff. That's the kind of gross, oh, yeah. slimy vibe you get from them. Mm. Yeah. Aaron's mother. Those movies I love too, where that they were all really practical the turtles and the bad guys and you know the, those 90s turtles movies with uh, vanilla ice and everything I also love. you all know this as you know experts in culture but practical always <laughs> ages better like CGI looks yeah. bad yes. like the next Friday CGI looks bad whereas puppets right. always look right even when they're wrong they like look right they make sense in the piece it's yeah, like Star Wars and stuff, you know like the original exactly. year round things yeah mm-hmm. E.T. or but whatever it still I looks mean, good mm-hmm. E.T. still looks well, good I mean, you mentioned Jurassic Park, even the birth of that raptor, yeah, exactly. that scene, it looks real. The T-Rex looks real. The fuck yeah. it's on the car movie. and it's a big puppet, that's the scariest part. It's like it's all the so CGI bad. running doesn't do anything for me, you know? <laughs> I want to ask about Megan, who I know, you know, you, you DM the stallion and you were like, will you be in this movie? <laughs> and she said, yeah, sure. And then hey, she hi. did it. What was it like having Megan just on set and also did she read the entire script <laughs> shocking and not really like she she definitely no. knew she had this song she had to record it but there certainly were parts of her character like we have a moment where because like in the office we don't sell Roombas we sell only the parts of Roombas like the weirs and the gears and the teeny tiny brushes and so she was like sorry what do we sell and we explained it to her and we had to explain it again and she was like 
okay, so it's stupid, huh? And we were like, yes, ma'am, it's stupid. And she was like, I can do stupid. I can do stupid. <laughs> um, she was so great. I mean, like, she came. She's such a pro. And I mean that that kind of person. It's just like a, a charisma. They're like a they're like a star that things orbit around. It is crazy. You're just like you are so charismatic, so cool, so beautiful. I don't know. She was great. We it sounds pat, out. but it is like I mean she's so fabulous at what she does, and then she also is like sneaky, very funny. So given yeah. all of that, we were like she could be a total nightmare to work with, and it'd be worth it. But she was the best. She's like like they're calling cut, and she's staying on set playing tic tac toe with the dancers, like goofing around. You know what I mean? It was like she is like wonderful in a way that you would not expect a superstar. Ass, to be. you know? Oh she yeah. Gets there and and the choreographers showed her 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 um, number, but they were like. They put a stand in it and they're like, you can do any of this. You can do none of this. Like we can choreograph around you. We just want to show you. This is an offering of what you could do. And she just sat there and watched the whole thing. And then she, it, it stopped. And they're like, what do you think? And she's like, I'm going to need different shoes. And then she just stood up and started learning it and learned every <laughs> single really, step. She's like, 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 I want to learn the whole thing. I'll do so it you all. better get me better shoes so I can yeah. learn this. <laughs> but like, like works. Like she, she's a hard worker. She's cool. Uh, now, uh, cool. it, it must be said also that so Nathan Lane and Megan Mullally in this movie are playing. I, I associate them with being uh, kooky or strange, you know, like they're, they're always and like they'll get a laugh whatever way suits them or whatever. But I have to imagine for the both of them, this was new territory. I mean, like this, they are <laughs> yes. bubbling at the mouth crazy in this film. I mean, I think yeah. for Mullally, she felt very much at home because she like yeah. she like wants to do this shit and I think doesn't always get the chance to. Nathan definitely was the one who, like, as he tells it, like, read the script and was like, it was the funniest thing I'd ever read. I wasn't sure I should be the one to do it. But, you know, like, so I think he was more a little bit like, this is too crazy, right? But then he's yeah. so good at, like, once he's in, he's in and goes, like, 120% and, like, gives more than you'd ever expect. And he did get it. I think he just needed to, like, meet all of us and be sure of the tone and the people he was working with. Malali's down the clown. She's She'll do fucking anything. She is yeah, so she funny that. and wild. She tells it. She told us the story of when she's on um, when she's on Parks and Recreation. She guest stars oh, yeah. as, as Nick Offerman's like ex wife, and the first her first shot was like um, Nick and her had like rekindled their sexual dynamic and um, were like pulling into a parking lot and then going into a hotel motel to fuck. And um, she just chose to like rip off her shirt and be completely topless and run in. And, and they were all like, I guess that she did that. That was her first shot. And they're like, wow, Megan, welcome to set. <laughs> like, she just, so she's pretty wild. She's like, uh, she's a true clown. Like she's ready. <laughs> I have to imagine working on this, you know, project for years and then it being the film that you made and this being, you know, your to, to take a page from The Parent Trap, which is based on, you know, the, the credits of that movie says, and introducing Lindsay Lohan, you know? <laughs> yes. Like, this is introducing Aaron and Josh to the world. So, like, where do you even go next? Like, what what <laughs> is it that you... Are there other stage shows that you've done? Um, is there just something else that you're like, we want to continue working on projects together or things separately. Let me say real quick, Ira, we did also want to do an introducing Aaron and Josh in the movie as a joke because we're like, it's like we're little girls and we're fully in our mid 30s. And of course, when we pitched that in their joke, it's like a whole contractual thing. And like, well, you know, Nathan's already got the width and Bowen's got the, like, you know, that's all contracts. It ended up being that like lawyers had to let us be allowed to say and introducing. it's funny. We're like, it's funny. Like we're not even doing it for the credits. It's just funny 
ready to advertise us like we are and Haley Bills. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're fully in our mid-30s. <laughs> but no, I think we just want to keep making crazy weird stuff. We have like other another script set up with A24 that we hope we shoot next year, but you know the biz. But I think like broadly speaking, we just like love that this process allowed us to make something that um shouldn't have been made. So the more that we can like keep making these wacky, weird little singular projects, I think we're happy. It must be said also that you guys have an, an insane musical brain quickly. I remember the first time I saw you, I was I, in New York for three months when I worked on Billy on the Street and you did a show and you combined these songs, if I'm remembering correctly, <laughs> like this by Kelly Rowland with Michelle Williams's um, when Jesus say yes song, and I so did close kisses down low, kisses down but low. Yes, it was kisses down low, down low not like with this. Jesus say yes. Okay, yes. I mean, <laughs> I, I hope more of that is to come. That's all I can say. Yeah, <laughs> we're just very um, vaudevillian types. We hosted this um, stand up show for years, but we were always like, well, let's sing, of course, and have a full band, and like, <laughs> like we just love, I don't know, like song and putting dance, putting on a show, putting on a show. <laughs> it's very hard. <laughs> We're just nature, human Muppets, really. And that's like <laughs> acting style <laughs> and sensibility. It's sort of all of it. I love that because we, you know, we had um, Jinx and Ben Creme on the oh show last God. week. Oh, and we, they were talking specifically about how they love, you know, vaudeville, but they also love actors of actors of your, you know, Lewis's repertoire. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Because they Dead were people. people who had to be... Yeah, tell people. They'd have people who had to be triple threats. You know, they were singers, yeah. they were dancers, they could act as well. And I found that particularly gay comedy now, you know, there's also there's YouTube, there's Matt Rogers and stuff as well. I find that gay comedy now leans so much into being musical as well. It's not just I'm gay and I'm a stand-up. It's also I'm doing a lot on stage because I'm making sure that I'm keeping the audience entertained for this entire thing, you know? How did you find your way to that? Well, I just, I, I was like a theater kid, but then got into comedy because I was like, I don't really know that I want to do this anymore. But you still, like, love that. I always... Uh when I would go see stand-up shows, I was just like, this is so boring. It's just like, even when it's funny, it's like, and now also like gay people and women will like dress, but it's like, you just go see people in like jeans and an ugly shirt standing in an ugly room. I was like, Where, where's the show? You know, like, <laughs> give me a show. What did so I pay just, $8 for? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I missed that. But Judy Garland has this quote where someone was interviewing her about her concerts and how like crazy she is. And she just is like, I like to go out there and give them two hours of pow. And that's, uh, <laughs> that's sometimes how I feel. What to give them pow. She actually also, died of two hours of pow. I yeah, have to say. <laughs> yeah, maybe more than two. Yeah. Ira, you're right. But also, like, Nathan Lane is, like, and Megan. such a prime. Yeah, both yeah. of them. Yeah, because Megan can fucking sing. But it's yeah. always, mm -hmm. Nathan feels so vaudevillian in a way that, to me, that's like, this shouldn't work in the modern era. And yet it absolutely does in a way that's, like, so sublime. And Megan, too. She's a... She's a, she likes to put on a show, you know? Yeah. It's fun. I, I wish there was more of that. So maybe, maybe if we queers can do it, it'll come back. But it is, it is like a corner of entertainment I miss in a way. It must be said, this is mm -hmm. just a one of a kind movie. So if you want to see a movie like this, you can't see another one. You have to go see Dick's The Musical. Um, thank you guys both for being here. You're obviously a dreams. And I can't believe this is your first time on the show. Fucking thank you for being here. Yeah. Thank, thank you for having, having us. us. It's an honor.
Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made in Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made in. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made in Cookware. Shop Chef Quality Pots and Pans at MadeInCookware.com. She did it again. <laughs> Britney Spears is back with another book, this time a tell-all memoir where she's dropping stories from the bottom of her broken heart, mm. including some scathing revelations about a certain toxic ex-boyfriend. A bit of a womanizer, if you will. Anything else? Go on. <laughs> well, all I can say is, baby, give me more. <laughs> okay, and you had it. <laughs> From the bottom of my broken heart video, by the way, very cute. A very winning Britney yeah. Spears performance. Yeah. Um, Never look back, he said. Perfect song. Yeah, right, right. I, for a minute, I thought that was the one directed by Herb Ritz, the video. That's not that. That's Don't Let Me Be the Last to Know. Also a good video. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, I mean, the, the man in that video? Jesus. No, it's painful. You can't even bring it up. Stop it. <laughs> Okay, anyway. She used to have the hottest men in her music videos. Definitely. Sometimes, Like, like the girls aren't doing it like her. No, 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 no. Um, Okay, so this book. Obviously, it just came out, so we're skimming the surface Mm -hmm. of it. The first excerpt that has hit Twitter. She recounts a moment hanging out with Justin, and apparently he's (laughs) he's discovering what I'll call the vernacular. (laughs) We're talking A-A-V-E. Yes. (laughs) That's not extra virgin olive oil, by the way. Um, he runs into literally genuine on the street and he, yes. and he greets him with yo, 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 or whatever. And then Britney, shiz, shiz. I remember the era of faux shiz. You would just be faux saying that. My nizzle. Yeah. Was an era. The living in Milwaukee, hearing white people say that constantly was, was stressful to my soul. I and that is from Justin's era of. I've worn a couple, you know, on the show before because I'm very into vintage FUBU shirts now. But that was the era where Justin was wearing FUBU as well. <laughs> Justin was wearing Nautica. He was wearing do-rags. Yeah, right. Like When we say for us, black. by us, we don't mean the residents of Celebration <laughs> Florida or wherever you're fucking from. <laughs> Justin was carrying in the early 2000s. There was, there was a period where he was Obviously, Brittany points out, too, that NSYNC was more into 
hip hop than R and B. She than says that. The Do we agree Boys. with that? Because I feel like the Backstreet Boys were very like like their debut single is "We've Got It Going On," which I think is very. I don't want to call it hip hop, but you know, a, a, a hat tip, a fedora tip to hip hop, if you will. I feel like they were more R and B laden in their first album, but I feel like once you got to, um. Millennium, and then you got to yeah, Black and pop. Blue. Yeah. They were they they were pretty pop and pretty much ready made for easy listening radio. Yeah, uh huh. Instinct leaned harder into. They worked with Candy Burris. You know, they worked with Timbaland. They Nelly. I think they were really geared. That is kind of true. That is kind of you know, true. The, mm-hmm. the youth market right. with hip hop, and they dressed the part too. By the way, so uh, obviously the audiobook of this memoir is also out. Michelle Williams, five-time Oscar nominee, Dawson's Creek alumna, is the one reading Hearing it. Hearing her say faux shiz, faux shiz, that is... Because she won an Oscar for that. <laughs> <laughs> She's got to win it for something. She's got to get a Grammy, at least, for this. It'll be nominated. Did I voice my um, theory about why she got picked for this? No, please do. My thing is, I think the last time Britney Spears really, really paid attention to pop culture was in the late 90s. And she mm. was, uh, uh, you know, she she was somebody, I remember she made a reference to Lauren Hill on The X Factor once. And it was like, not appropriate. It was like, that's just the last time she remembers music. <laughs> anyway, um, and I feel like she was probably a huge Dawson's Creek person. So she probably remembers Michelle Williams from that and also remembers her playing Marilyn Monroe. So the, that combination mm. probably got her the gig. That said, listening to Michelle Williams read this audiobook. She does a good job with it. Like she doesn't overplay any of it. It's it's not like character work on her part. Um, mm-hmm. That said, it is. She has such a refined and actorly tone that it is a little funny all the time. That's all I have to say. It it's, is. It, you know? No, it feels like it feels like Britney is is dead, and we're reading like a yeah. we're listening to a masterpiece theater rendition of her life. Yeah. Right. 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 You know, it does. It doesn't feel. And maybe that's, I get that Britney starts out with, it's too raw to read, um, and that's why she passed it off after the intro. I'm sure that's 100% the reason why she did not do this audiobook. I'm sure that is absolutely 100% the reason, and not that she just didn't want to sit in there recording an audiobook. Too By much, the way, though, you know. she does give you the first like uh, three minutes of the book or whatever, an introduction mm. before she hands it off to Michelle Williams. I forget that even though she is on Instagram and posts videos of herself, I don't know that I really hear her voice all that often. I am kind of mm-hmm. loving her, like, extremely scratchy. She's like this, like, Harvey Firestein, Britney voice. I, I wish I, that I we had it. gotten yeah. it. Yeah. So, obviously, I downloaded it, and right there in the library next to it is Mariah Carey's audiobook, which, by the way, this audiobook is five hours. I saw that Mariah Carey's audiobook is 12 hours. That was a long ass audiobook, but that was so riveting. And it was so glad it came out during like quarantine because I was listening at home, driving around, just going on drives in, back in LA to listen to it just because I wanted to listen to it and get out of the house, you know? So I, I do wish that Britney had been able to do the whole thing because it would have been fun to hear her voice and hear her sort of maybe do some character work, especially because we just got a released video of her audition tape for The Notebook, and everyone has been so shocked that she was good at reading these lines. I was like, well, first of all, she was good in Crossroads. I would say her performance in it reminds me of Crossroads. It's not dissimilar, you know. 
I think it I think it was a great audition tape too. It's not like she was Oscar winning or anything, but she would have been entirely appropriate for many romantic comedies of that ilk in the 2000s if she had so chosen. And she also revealed that she was offered a role in Chicago in the cell block tango, but she had turned it down and she wishes that she had been more ballsy uh, and made more weirder choices back then. I do have to say, so watching the audition clip and she's like, you know, um, palpably emotional and uh, uh, believable in a certain way. It stops there, I would say. Like, people are kind of, like, flying (laughs) off the deep end, being like, she's so good. She's so much better than she has to be. No, she is not nearly as good as Rachel McAdams. I mean, like, it would be crazy if they didn't (laughs) cast her in this film. I just want to say that. But um, Mm -hmm. it is, you just forget that she would have been even up for something like that, or that would have been interesting to her, uh, in a way. So it's, like, already there are, like... I mean, from that era of... Beyonce when she was back in like Pink Panther. Oh yeah, and like the and Fighting Temptations. Fighting Temptations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That you forget that you forget that one, they're about the same age. Yeah. And so they were both in that era of they were those stars coming up, like Usher as well and Christina Aguilera. And they were being offered roles then. And I just think that it's interesting because now I feel like we don't see as much of that uh of our current pop stars being offered roles like that or anything. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's also because the current younger pop stars of like a Olivia Rodrigo or a Miley Cyrus or um, Ariana Grande, I guess they started in entertainment mm. as actors and then they got away from it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. And we haven't had big blowout stars who've been, oh, well, now let's see if they can act. Right, right, right. Yeah, because it's all mixed in. They're always starting out doing 50 things. Like these Disney Channel kids are stuck in a fucking um, bubble chamber doing all that shit. And does it even mean anything anymore with the box office and with streaming and everything? Does it mean anything for a huge mega pop star to be in a fucking movie anymore? Unless they really want, unless they're Lady Gaga and they really want to be an actor but does it even make sense? You're right. No, it's a good question. That said, I don't think we should forget. I think somebody who has the potential to be a really good actor, and I don't know if she's auditioning or what, but she's conquered so much of the entertainment industry already. Billie Eilish on Swarm was better than good. Mm. She was really, really fucking good. And so I hope that happens. For Also, just something about her in general is like, it's rare that you you see someone and you're like, I am positive you are wise. And she is one of those people. Mm. I thought you were going to say... Um, Miss Bailey. <laughs> no, yes. <laughs> but they're already acting. Both yeah. of those sisters are already acting. Oh, yeah, yeah, no. no. Who, who, would, who would have doubted that she could act? Right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, no, I love Billie Eilish in that. Let's get her in. Let's get her in a horror movie. Yes, that would be awesome. She could be. She has a very Nev Campbell-esque quality to her. By the way, could be a villain, too. I thought, well, in, in, yeah. in Swarm, she has this sort of bewitching quality. Like, are we... We don't know what we're getting from her. Is she good? Is she bad? And then, I mean, it all comes out. But um, it was fascinating. She, I, I didn't expect to be fascinated by her as an actor. You know, like watching Lady Gaga in A Star is Born, I thought she was successfully, quote unquote, stripped down. But I don't know that I was fascinated mm-hmm. with what I was seeing on screen. Whereas Billie Eilish, something intriguing mm-hmm. there. Wait till the Joker too. My God. When do we get that? <laughs> is the answer ever? Because it's already been years. <laughs> comes out next year. And also, Joaquin is already in that Napoleon movie that looks baffling. But all right, The Rise of Vanessa Kirby, I'll allow it. I saw a trailer for that, and I was like, okay, Ridley Scott. 
Right. No, it's just giving <laughs> he you. He just makes movies, doesn't he? He's like, it looks like a movie, and somebody's got to make a Napoleon movie. May as well be me. Yeah. <laughs> and with the last couple of films, he pretty much just sets up the camera and says, <laughs> You, you go have ahead. fun now. <laughs> <laughs> Christopher Plummer, go, go ham. <laughs> All right, so All back, right, back to, to this back book. to Britney Spears. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, Ridley Scott and for the love of money, Michelle Williams. Uh, right, it all comes back Britney to Britney Spears and and Mark Wahlberg, of course. Um, yeah. Uh, no, also, I just want to say I brought this up at the beginning of the podcast. It is interesting just to hear the sustained anger of this book. Like Britney Spears talks about like her she's the things, mad the things in her upbringing that made her happy and 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 continue to make her happy, but. It really is. It, it it feels like a um a therapeutic release for her, and I I think her fans are constantly hoping she gets that, and maybe have assumed she already did have that. But I feel like there's like a tone in this book that is like surprisingly um commanding. You know, like you can't mm-hmm. look away. Even in you know, she talks about like the alcoholism in her family, how her grandmother killed herself. So there's like it's like it goes hard pretty immediately too. It places her specifically in a place and time and positions her family dynamic in a way that you really start to see who Brittany is in a new light. Yes. And I also loved hearing about her, her grandmother, who was from London and sort of had been brought here by her grandfather and she hated New Orleans. And But the grandfather was like, I never, clearly, like, he, she thought that her grandfather would never let him her grandmother go back to London because she might never come back. Mm. Something like that. But how she describes how she used to love impersonating her grandmother's British accent, which makes so much sense when you think about you are so those right. paparazzi videos where yes. she would impersonate the British accent all the time. It was her disappearing back into her childhood to get out of all of that. I mean, also, don't forget about Scream and Shout. Uh yeah. That's, a, that's a British accent on the record. Go call the governor. <laughs> <laughs> no, wait, that's uh, work, bitch. Oh, that's right. Yes. Scream and shout. Yeah. Oh. Uh. Scream and shout Same is one song. of my favorite. Like, Well, I am. It's like a half step above Baby Shark, and I am in. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Baby Shark for horny adults. Yeah. But otherwise, I'm having a great time reading this book so far i got up this morning and read about several chapters of it and skimmed through some others and people have been sharing audiobook clips online and i'm gonna switch to the audiobook now yeah. so i can really take all of michelle williams in but so many fun anecdotes i have to there. say i think the audiobook is the definitive experience of this i think it should be listened to mm. ultimately um before we tie this up pick your all-time favorite britney spears song all-time favorite? Yeah. Only one. I don't want to hear, well, it's between this, this, and this. No, 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 no. This is, a, this is an urgent situation. You can only pick one. I think it's Slave for You. A turn in her, I, I would say A Slave for You, uh, I'm a Slave for You, is what is what What's My Name was for Rihanna, where it bridges the old idea of her and the new. You know, it's like mm. it had the pop in it, and then it became the R&B real sexier music. Um, uh, I think just the lore of that song, too, if you recall that that debuted at the VMAs. Yes. So that was one of the first times a megastar like that, We there was no lead up to it. There was no playing it on the radio. It it dropped 
at the VMAs. They teased it. They teased it in rehearsal. Uh, there were clips, uh, sketches of her rehearsing for the VMAs because Jamie Foxx was hosting that year uh, of her in a studio when you would hear the opening sort of beat of it. And he was pretending to dance with her. I remember all of this. <laughs> and that was teasing the song. And then you heard the song for the first time. And then the song also leaked the audio version from the show with the whip in it, the mm. live version. And I was so disappointed when the whip wasn't on the album. But that song never went to number one. Right. And it's also because, if you recall, those VMAs were one week before 9-11. Yes, 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 yes. The old Will the Ford defense. I would have been bigger yes. had 9-11 not happened. Yes, yes, yes. If I had yeah. to pick a favorite. For you, I would say for you was big, but it, I felt like it could have been bigger and had more promotion if the week after wasn't. It's an incredible you know, song. I a cover-up by our government. I I have to go with sometimes, ultimately, because I think the mm-hmm. innocence of the record is just well mm. um, conveyed by her. You, I mean, also just that era. Like, when she emerged, she was so fun and so, like, she would come on TRL, and there's something just so pacifyingly um, giddy about her yeah. all the time. I just, I will never forget, like, being in middle school when she came out feeling like, oh, she's like a big middle schooler. You know, like, I, I, yeah. I, I just... concurred with who she was and she looked cool she dressed cool she felt like you wanted to be friends with her approachable And the lyrics sometimes are bring back fun pop songs like that that i mean you still listen to sometimes and it conveys everything that you would feel falling in love with someone having a crush on someone not wanting them to know yeah like a summer crush yeah very adorable song and the video on the pier they shot in la that is is so it's so cute yes no it's it's i think it's the cutest music video there of all time if i i would be interested <laughs> to hear what other nominees in this in this racket sometimes there are. i run sometimes i hide sometimes i'm scared of you that that is that is cute personified. Right. No. I mean, like, Sandra D could never. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that hussy. <laughs> All right. When we're back, keep it. And we're back with the most esteemed segment of the episode. It's Keep It. The titular key, man. We're here with it. You sound like Michelle. Thank you. <laughs> Four shiz. <laughs> Ira, you're going to go first this week. What is your keep it? Okay, so going back to the SAG after a Halloween guidelines, uh, Ryan Reynolds made a joke about it, which I thought was kind of amusing. He spends a lot of his time on Twitter making little quips, right? Sort of what he does. Yeah. yeah. Him and Nick Lehman. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Nick um, Lehman is your reference? <laughs> Gay guy. Look him up. Yeah. <laughs> He's the gay Ryan Reynolds. Um, I'll think about that sometime. Okay, moving on. I could see Blake Lively marrying Nick. Interesting choice for her. Actually, we can talk about Blake Lively's (laughs) acting career sometime. Remember she played a blind woman in something called All I See Is You? Look it up. She was good. Anyway. (laughs) Was was the Kylie song the theme of the movie? No. Oh, my God. That would be so good. I love that fucking song. From the album X. Yeah. She doesn't have enough gays on her team to do something fun like that. Yeah, right, right, right. And, and gays loved her yeah. in that fucking um, Anna Kendrick movie. Simple plan. A simple, simple, a simple, simple favor. favor. Yeah. So anyway, get on that. Anyway, Ira, go ahead. Okay. So he made a comment. Um, 
I look forward to screaming scab at my eight-year-old all night. She's not in the union, but she needs to learn, which is funny. Yeah, cute. But then someone quote tweeted this with, Ryan Reynolds is the world's greatest movie star in that he's more famous than God, but hasn't starred in anything you could call good. And let me tell you something. Hmm. What we're not going to do is come for Ryan Reynolds' (laughs) acting career. Oh, okay. Okay? Okay? First of all, Smoking Aces Erasure. Okay. okay? Uh, I think that movie sucks ass, but okay. (laughs) What the fuck is wrong with you? Oh, honey, excuse me. I was a RA in a um, a, a dorm full of boys, and I would put on movie nights. And I'd be like, all right, kids, pick something, and Grandpa will put it on the VCR for you. And they were like, we love Smoking Aces, Lewis. And I was like, all right, that doesn't sound like, you know, rear window to me, but I'll give it a shot. Put it the fuck on. Girl, wait, is is Alicia Keys in that movie for two seconds? Alicia Keys, Taraji P. Henson. They're all failing. I'm sorry. I was watching this movie in despair. <laughs> ben Affleck. I, in despair, Jason Bateman. I watched it. Yeah. Ray Liotta. <laughs> okay. They did their best. Common. Well, he can't act. <laughs> yeah. I think that this is the Boondock Sanks, but It good. sure is, and they also watched that fucking piece of shit. Ugh. Well, listen- I hope I painted a picture for everybody. If that was the cinematic universe, I was awash in. <laughs> Letting little boys feel fucking seen at the University of Iowa. Yeah. I've got to mention some other good things okay. that he has been in. All right. Well, he doesn't star in this, so we can't count Dick, but that's an amazing movie. Duh. Duh, that's a great movie. Uh, Blade Trinity. All right, I'll leave that one good. to you. Okay. It's good. It's good. Okay? And the, the trilogy is great. I will also say um, The Nines is a good movie. Never seen. I, I'm surprised you With, didn't say, isn't Waiting good? I remember watching that at the time. Isn't yeah. Isn't it kind of I'm funny, right? There. Unpretentious? Yeah. The Proposal. There we go. Sandy. Okay. That is that is a classic, actually. Like, S- Sandy was doing the damn thing. With that movie. Oh, yeah. And of course, that was the beginning of the Betty White Renaissance, too, which was surprisingly mm. lasting. Yeah. Um, up until last year. Mm-hmm. Didn't she die last year? Uh, or this year? Uh, end of the previous year. Mm, allegedly. <laughs> She's probably up and walking around right now playing Super Password by herself. She's with Tupac. <laughs> you know what I also, have to say? I Ruskanda love- forever. <laughs> <laughs> Wait. I did not mention this in the Scorsese segment, but when they're saying in the film Wakanda, oh my god, a lot, I, I was like, I know I we're like, all thinking Wakanda in here. Yeah, I was like, not Scorsese with his Marvel hatred, <laughs> th- th- throwing this Easter egg in there. By the way, I know we've talked about this before. His interviews still so fucking good. I mean, just like he's got he's that amazing. sharp memory for like every fucking movie. Like he can't stop talking about it. I love that shit. Love that shit. I am now going to give a shady keep it to Martin Scorsese if that's okay. Mm, go ahead. Okay. I also just want to say that the movie Buried is quite good. Oh, right. The one where it's all he's in a, in a tomb. He has the cell phone and he's buried yeah. alive. Yeah. Yeah. So, and lastly, two guys, a girl, and a pizza place. I completely I forgot that's his origin story. <laughs> I rest too, my case. Too proud. The defense rests. The defense rests. <laughs> I love TV shows that go through a title change. So that's so something of the past. That would never happen anymore. Mm. Now comes my measly and persnickety 
Scorsese bone to pick. My key bit okay. is to, to the fact that Martin Scorsese has so many actors he uses again and again. And that's a part of what we like about him. You know, like, oh, eventually mm-hmm. he's going to come up with another Leonardo DiCaprio movie. Eventually he's going to come up with another Robert De Niro movie. He has barely ever used an actress more than one time. Like, I don't think Ellen mm. Burstyn is in anything but Alice doesn't live here anymore after winning the Oscar. Kate Blanchett never appeared again. Um, I, th- If I remember correctly, Barbara Hershey is in both Boxcar Bertha from the early 70s, and she's in The Last Temptation of Christ, too. But, I mean, she's not... That that's an interesting technicality. What gives? Mm-hmm. He should have. There should be Scorsese actresses he uses again and again. What you know? Where's uh? What's up with Lorraine Bracco? What's up with uh uh uh? You know, I love uh, Winona Ryder in uh, Age of Innocence. Would have been lovely to see her mm. again. Maybe they shouldn't have been bitches on set. Uh, Louis. <laughs> now I get it. <laughs> These were hoes, unfortunately. Kathy Moriarty amazing. was a real cut in Raging Bull. Okay. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> one of the most. But one of the no, most, I would love for him to w- reuse some of these women, actually, because I feel like there's always that thing online where people are talking about: Does he write make films for women? And you know, people bring up the great roles he's had for women. Sharon fucking Stone in Casino, please, which is yes. up, which is up there as maybe maybe my second favorite Scorsese film after Gangs of New York. I'm. Just, I'm off kilter. One of my favorite films of his. Um, But I would love to see Jodie Foster again. I would love to see um, Winona Ryder again. By the way, it must be said, uh, Jodie Foster is also in Nyad. Best performance she's given in years. I'll be honest, I'd kind of fallen out of love with Jodie Foster. Like, I think I saw Mm. her be bad. Oh, yes. Do you remember that movie Carnage based off God of Carnage that Roman Polanski directed? bad Jodie Foster performance. And I sort of was like, all right, she peaked. You know, she's a brilliant child actress, had a couple of um, dynamite adult roles. And now, you know, she's not as good anymore. Nope, she is back. She really grounded the movie. So I'm really excited she's good in this movie. Maybe a nomination. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I just said, Win- Winona Ryder and Michelle Pfeiffer in fucking Age of Innocence. Mm. Uh, and along with Daniel Day-Lewis too. I mean, he's retired or whatever yeah. but is he girl you know he's sitting around reading like poetry and stuff he's got time i'm so, come on back <laughs> get winona and michelle back on screen together oh. in a new scorsese film i would love that by the way and, if, if he wants to adapt another like uh, early 20th century novel or whatever i think he's like really attuned to that kind of dialogue mm-hmm. yeah i absolutely agree i mean the victorian era is sort of he i feel like he's made for that yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I have, uh, I, I have a adjacent keep it. Speaking of Scorsese and his women. Oh, go ahead. Obviously, Fran Lebowitz. I knew it was coming. Uh, <laughs> and Fran Lebowitz. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's funny. Josh and Aaron uh, said, <laughs> I was, we were joking about how now that I record the show in New York, you always hear the sounds of New York in the background. And uh, joking that I'm Fran and you're Marty. But... I have a keep it about Fran Lebowitz interviews. Yeah. Because she just did one with an interview magazine. And I'm a little bit tired of hearing about the fact that she doesn't use the internet. Right. Can well, I put that out there? That she doesn't use the internet. She doesn't have a phone. I feel like we know that about her already. And I don't find it interesting anymore. I find that she doesn't find it interesting to talk about anymore. It's just like, what else is going on? I have to say, it's tricky to interview her because she... 
you can almost predict what she'll be dismissive about or what she'll be kind of curt mm-hmm. about. And you have to watch for those traps because she's not mm-hmm. going like, to she's not going to um, help you out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So when people ask these questions and they get kind of repetitive, it's like you should have known, should have known. She'll just give you that stock yeah. answer. I honestly feel like what I loved about the interview magazine interview actually was she actually had a great quote where she said um, she was asked about what contemporary writers she loves. And she says she loves a lot of writers. She reads a lot, but she's not friends with a lot of writers because no one should be friends with too many writers. (laughs) Right. Uh, Right. But she said that if people bought books like she did, then books would still be making a shit ton of money. And I feel like, I would love an interview about what she's been reading, you know, and maybe she would have to agree to that, like what author she's been reading or like what book she loves, what culture she loves. Because obviously, not to say that the interview was bad at all. Like she yeah, had yeah. some very, it, I thought it was actually a really great interview with her. Um, unlike the interviews magazine with Britney Spears' ex-husband, Sam Ashgari. Oh, God. Yeah, we're For some that. fucking reason. Um, thirsty for clicks they were this week. But... I have to say that she loves culture, obviously, but she's so tied into culture that's pre-internet. And I just would love to know what she's read, what she loves, what movies she likes. I know Jeremy O'Harris told me that she was at a screening of Flowers of the Killer Moon. and like Killers she was, of the Flower Moon. Flowers of the Killer Moon is the sequel. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you thought they were dead, but now they're alive. No, no, no. She was like, leaning forward like the whole time like enraptured by this film like i just want to hear her talk about some movies some books some shit you know that she loves i i completely agree because Franly boots is most interesting when talking about matters of taste and not just talking mm. about like the things like 90s stand-ups grouse about like i don't like she's like when she talks about like people walking slowly on a sidewalk i'm like girl we did this stand-up in 1997 i don't need to be hearing about that <laughs> like this like get into like she, like she talked about like going to like the ballet all the time like yeah let's talk about that or, like, she was friends with fucking charles mingus like i love that shit talk about like and, mm. and, and like talk about the people who actually made you change your mind because that is mm-hmm. like obviously the big trick with uh fran Leibowitz. she's immovable but i don't think that's true yeah and also I'm a little tired of hearing about celebrities who don't have to read email or have a cell phone anymore. I I would that's that is actually the only thing, not the only thing, but that is one of the biggest things I'm jealous of that comes with celebrity. Right. Because I would love to never read an email. No, like Emma Stone, she's like, don't even tell me what Instagram is. Yeah. <laughs> like being being in that realm of the world sounds beautiful. Yeah. No, yeah. Pacific. You can go hide away. There was a Scorsese interview recently where he was like email like i don't i don't really read it i was reading them recently and it's it's you look at the cc and there's so many people on it and i'm like who are these people (laughs) (laughs) oh that's amusing that's so fun that's me with a keep it email (laughs) who Who are you all who is that (laughs) anyway that's our show this week i really enjoyed these topics i have to get back into this memoir though yeah, I'm going to go and light some candles mm-hmm. and um, listen listen to this memoir. Hope my house doesn't burn down like Brittany almost did that one time. Yes, right. I'll put I'll put uh, How I Roll, one of my favorite um, Brittany B-sides <laughs> on. And just let that oh, simmer. Oh, yeah, you didn't say your favorite Brittany song. No, oh, well, I did, you did sometimes. Say your yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes, that's right. Right, right, that's right, right. But How I Roll is a good second. Yeah, good weirdo song from the album Femme Fatale, if I'm not mistaken. Femme Fatale, very underrated. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Inside Out on that album too great song perfect song 
All right. Thanks to Josh and Aaron for being here, and we will see you next week. Keep It is a Crooked Media production. Our senior producer is Kendra James. Our producer is Chris Lord. And our associate producer is Malcolm Whitfield. Our executive producers are Ira Madison III and Louis Vertel. This episode was recorded and mixed by Evan Sutton. Thank you to our digital team, Megan Patzel and Rachel Gajewski, and to Matt DeGroote and David Tolls for production support every week. And as always, Keep It is recorded in front of a live studio audience. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.